0: I've entitled the morning's message, I Am Persuaded. And there's going to be some page turning this morning, but I really want you to follow along with your Bibles as we make our way through Romans chapter 8. Let's go back where, give you a little introduction here. Chapter 8 is a high watermark in Romans. This fact is generally conceded by all interpreters of this great epistle, Spencer said, if Holy Scripture were a ring and the epistle to the Romans is a precious stone, then chapter eight would be the sparkling point of the jewel. Godget labeled it this uncomparable chapter. Someone has added, uh, we enter this chapter, and we'll be looking at this, with no condemnation. We'll close this chapter with no separation, And in between, we'll read, all things work together for good to those that love God. It is a gem, one of the treasures. And um, this morning, uh, as we look where Paul was reading for us earlier, I'm just gonna read the first half of Romans 8, verse 31, and then follow it with a question. So verse 31, what shall, what then shall we say To these things? Well, that begs the question what things? So we have to go back um, to verse 18, but before we do, I read an introduction. If you go back to chapter 8, verse 1, we actually stopped uh, on verse 1 on Wednesday night, and um, I don't believe there should be a chapter separation between verse 25 and uh, chapter 8, verse 1. So, when I just read, it begins with no condemnation. Um, This is an important verse to me. In order for it to make sense, we need to go back to Paul's own struggle. Remember, we've been talking about justification and the difference between being justified and being sanctified. Justified is when you accept Christ and the slate is wiped clean and um, you're white as snow before the the Lord. That's that. And then there's sanctification. Even though we are completely justified, we have to acknowledge that a baby Christian, and this was when we were in Hebrews chapter 6, Paul was sort of chiding them. Saying, look, you guys have been better than the Lord for a long time, but you're still just drinking milk. And by this time you should be eating meat. So sanctification is when you first come to Jesus, you've been justified. The slate's quite clean, but it takes years and years and years for you to go from milk, just like a natural baby, to a full grown adult where you can handle a good porterhouse steak, no problemo. Good place for an amen. So with that being said, Paul talking about the sanctification process, he is very honest about his own struggle with this process. So let's go to chapter seven, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I don't practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but it is no, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, I want to do the right thing, But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not, but the evil I will to do that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But then I see another law in my members warring against the law. Let me just stop and say here, it's really important, especially young young believers, to understand, when you accept the Lord, you now have two natures. Before you only had one, it was carnal. But now you have two. And the Bible says they war against each other continually. And Paul is being very, very honest. We're talking about the Apostle Paul here struggling with this. Um, Verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And then he sums it all up by saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He gives the answer, well, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself will serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, we have the therefore, and I'll just touch on this a little bit. Therefore, because of the struggle, that sanctification process that we're going through, because of that, Paul says, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There are many different types of believers, different personality traits. Some people handle trials better than others, but we all go through trials. Good place for an amen there too. No, no exception. We'll be talking about it this morning. But having said that, um, I know too many people that they have sinned. And they've confessed their sin. First John 1.9. It says the Lord will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But we went to Revelation 12 and we talked about the accuser of the brethren who accuses you and I before our Father night and day. And he's also whispering in your ear after you've sinned and you've confessed your sin and you call yourself a Christian. Just look at what you just did. And even though we know what this verse says, this is what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. If this in any way is a struggle that you go through. This is where you put all emotion aside. And you stand upon this verse. Provided that after you had sinned, you confessed it, and if you confessed it, the Lord says, I'm going to remember it no more. I'm going to separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. So God's forgotten, but you keep coming up, and every time you think about it, you go, Oh, Lord, would you please forgive me of that sin? And he says, What sin? And he Wouldn't it be great to be God? He says he can forget. I wish I I could. So I'm not going to make the whole study on this, but when it says earlier that it begins with no condemnation, you can't. And if the enemy is whispering in your ear your inadequacies, you can tell them where to go. (laughs) Think that through. (laughs) All right, so this is um, how chapter 8 begins uh, let's go to our text, which is in verse 31. And I only read verse, the part of it. What then shall we say to these things? And the question is, of course, what things? Well, there are seven things that Paul refers to that lead up to verse 31, beginning with chapter um, 8, verse 18. We are going to go through these seven things one by one This morning, that's why I told you earlier we're going to have a little page turning going on here this morning. So this morning, let's look at these seven things where Paul comes up with it. What can we say about these things? Well, verse 18 tells us, this is the first one. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. So the first one is, I consider the suffering of this present time. Um, We are not exempt from trials. We are not exempt from suffering. I'm going to ask you to turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And for each one of these, I'll do a cross-reference and comment on it. In John chapter 15 verse 18 the Lord is talking about his relationship and that the world hates him so let's pick it up in verse 18 if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love its own yet because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world The word church actually means called out ones. Therefore, the world hates you. Don't we see that happening more and more every day? It's going to continue. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, then they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen also have both heard me and my father. And then in verse 25, whenever we have, remember I said you can't really teach through any chapter without it saying it is written. Well, here we are in John 15. Verse 25 says, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled, uh, which is written in the law. We're looking at Psalm 69 here. They hated me, without a cause. What did Jesus do that was so wrong? He only went around doing good. Never went around doing bad. He hated hypocrisy so he laid into the scribes and the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Told the disciples listen to to what they say but don't follow what they do. And um, so this first one here we can go back to Romans Verse 18 says, for I consider the sufferings is not to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, um, this morning, um, these seven things that we're looking at, the suffering now, and there are people that suffering right now. We're trying to figure out what happened down in Miami with this building coming down. I'm getting a lot of, I'm not, um, I'm hearing different um, reasons for what the possibilities could be, and um, uh, a lot of Jewish people lived in that that, uh, building, so that's one of the things that's floating around out there. Another is, there's, there's, as you know, some people are just coming up dead if they have too much information about um, this vaccine. And uh, they're winding up dead. One wound up dead yesterday. I heard a rumor that one of these people lived in that complex. And um, the hate and the social agenda that Curtis Bowers talks so much about and where this is all headed, they could care less about 100 people if they get the one they want. Now, I'm not. No, get me wrong here, I'm not saying either of those two theories are correct. But Um, there's video out there, and if you watch the video closely, there are flashes that go off before that building comes down. It's being reported it was built in the sand, and that's what brought it down. All I'm saying, there's a lot of suffering going on. Judy and I were coming to church this morning and um, listening to a Keith Green song, and then um, uh, this guy comes on, and he was his grandmother was in that tower. And so, through the debris that was coming down was a Christmas card that they had sent her. And he thought, what are the chances? uh, Grandma's dead, but the Lord was comforting this particular man. The, the The probability factors that he's gonna get this card floating through the air is zero, okay? So that's just the Lord comforting this man but there is suffering and uh, we're not exempt from it but um, I just pray this grandma was saved because now she's in a lot better place she's home and uh, that's, that's the hope that we have so uh, the suffering Paul says listen um, I've been there the Lord took him to the third heaven And he said, I saw, no, he said, I heard. I heard things that are beyond, it would be a crime if any man would try to articulate what I heard. Can't do it. And so those are the things that we're looked forward to. All right, number two is verses 19 through 22. It tells us, for the earnest expectation of the creation, eagerly waits for the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Here Paul is actually saying that um, the earth is groaning. Our earth has been cursed. So I'm going to take you to where the curse was placed. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And let me draw your attention to verse 17 through 18. Genesis 3 verse 17 says this is... um, the consequences for Adam, then to Adam he said, this would be God, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat thereof, what does it say? Cursed is the ground for your sake. God cursed the earth at this time. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. It'll bring forth Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you will eat the herb of the field. In other words, when we were picking roses before the fall, there wasn't any thorns on them. You go, here, honey, no thorns, no problem. But to me, uh, when it says that the earth is groaning, um, we find a picture here, in my opinion, because it brought forth thorns, and thistles. The earth was cursed. Isn't it interesting that the Romans, when they were mocking the Lord, they put a robe on him, and they said, no, he needs a crown, too. So they weaved a crown of thorns, and they put it upon his head. I don't think that was a coincidence. I believe literally it's a picture. Jesus was dying for the sins of the world, but he was also, the curse was actually placed upon him, literally the thorns that would have never existed ahead of time. So um, Jesus taking the curse literally in picture form that was placed because of Adam's sin. Back to Romans. Let's look at the fourth one this morning. No, verse 23. Not only is the earth growing, groaning, but as you look at verse 23, this will be the third one. And not only they, but we who have the first fruits of the spirit. All right, now we're talking about born-again believers. Even we ourselves with an us groan, uh, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Anybody besides me, Able to identify with groaning. <laughs> and here, for this one, I'd like you to turn to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll read verses 1 through 8. Paul says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, okay, he's talking about your body, is destroyed... Well, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, and it's eternal in the heavens. For in this we what? We groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, there it is again, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life now he who has prepared us this very thing is God who has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee therefore we are confident knowing that while we're at home in this body groaning we are absent from the Lord for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know what this verse is saying? The moment you breathe your last breath, you're absent from your body, but you're immediately present with the Lord. It's an instantaneous thing that happens. And I guess the older you get, the more you long for that. And... um So not only is the earth groaning, but we have this longing. Um, Not being able to do the things I used to love doing, like downhill skiing, can't do that anymore. (laughs) And um, uh, I'm always getting myself in trouble because this is 70, okay? But my head is 26. And I'm always doing, somebody showed me a picture of this uh, guy, this seven-year-old guy, is a cartoon, and he's carrying this great big log. And uh, the caption told him his age, is but he thinks he's 25 or something like that. And so we're always needing to get adjusted, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it's a bummer, not being able to do some of the things they used to do. Did I say bummer? Now you know which generation I came out of. <laughs> All right, let's go to number four. Let's go back to Romans. And let's look at verses 24 and 25. Number four. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait with it with perseverance. For this one, I would like you to turn with me where it talks about this hope to the book of Titus. And Titus is um, right before Philemon and right after 2 Timothy chapter 4. So I'll give you a second to get there. This hope 1 Corinthians 13 says, When all is said and done, there's three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. Those three. So if you're in Titus chapter 2, I'm looking at 11 through 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, doing what? Looking for the blessed hope. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm coming back. I'm gonna take you unto myself, that where I am, you're gonna be there also. What do you call that? The blessed hope. It's called the rapture. And I believe um, we are living in the last of the last days, um, listened to a Bible study last night from a Calvary Chapel pastor um, that um, he was quoting what I often quoted, and he was dogmatic about it. That was the parable of the fig tree. And he said, look, it's black and white. The generation that sees Israel become nation again will be the generation that sees the fulfillment of all things. And he said it was late, okay? The Bible study was 10 years old. How much more now? And um, so, but we're in complete agreement. It's been 73 years since um, Israel became a nation. And he went through, like I do, I said, that guy sounds like me. And uh, he went through the different, what could be different generations. He used the 40-year one. Well, we know that one, right? (laughs) It says um, a man's lifetime is uh, three score and 10. Seventy years. That that could be it. But then it says that the children of Israel were in bondage for four hundred years or four, it goes on to say four generations. So we can't be dogmatic about it. What does the Bible say about the rapture? No one knows. No one knows the, that time or day, except my father who is in heaven. But know this first Thessalonians five. That um we are told to know the times and the seasons. I know the season that we're living in right now is the same season that saw Israel become a nation. And um, as a result of that, we have Titus 2, verse 13, what are we to do? Well, not touch this world and get involved in it because it's passing away. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ that's number four let's go back to the book of Romans number five is verse 26 and 27 Paul is writing to the Ephesians here and 26 it tells us likewise the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought now this is interesting to me But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groans which cannot be uttered. There's times you're going through something and you can't even express it. All you can do is go, this verse tells me that the Holy Spirit understood you're just that prayer request. And he makes intercession for us through groans which cannot be uttered. Lord, I don't know what's going on. Um, you realize we talked about the spiritual warfare. That's a daily thing that we go through. And we go, I don't know what's going on here. But something's going on, it's not good. It's like Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh. Lord, what's going on here? Don't like it, get rid of it. Didn't answer that prayer, so we prayed again. Lord, don't like what's going on here. I'm being buffeted by a messenger of the enemy don't like it Lord didn't answer his prayer Pray one more time Lord please get rid of this sword in the flesh I don't like it sorry Paul it's staying this, this follows in 2nd Corinthians 12 when he's just gotten back from heaven this is the next verse you see Paul you've seen things that are so incredible you could actually get big headed and I can't let that happen so I'm allowing this in your life to keep you humble. Because in your weakness, I'm made strong. And I don't want you to get a big head over the thing. So sometimes we're going through spiritual warfare. We don't know what's going on. And uh, that's what it's saying here. We do not know what we should pray for, how to pray for it. But God understands even the sighs and the groans And he intercedes for us. 27, now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because he is making intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now in this one, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians uh, chapter eight. Uh, There is no Ephesians chapter eight, Dwight. Somebody tried this in men's prayer yesterday, and, and now it's, it's Ephesians chapter six, and um, verse eighteen is, and nineteen is what I'm interested in. In verse eighteen, it says, "Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints." And for me, now Paul is writing this from prison, okay? And he says, and as for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul's in jail when he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Every person here needs to say amen. Ah, on, give me a Dave Hockett amen. amen. I, that's better. You know, sometimes we just get in a place and um, well, it's not my gift, you know. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, you need to pray for boldness and um, uh, utterance that uh, you can share, especially in these times. There are people that are open right now that haven't been open before. They sense something's coming down. They just don't know quite what it is. And you can tell. And so, as we look at number five, we can go back to uh, Romans. And now let's look at uh, number six, which is verse 28. Remember, we started by saying Romans 8 starts with um, no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. But right in the middle, we have verse 28, a verse everyone knows here, I hope. It says, for we know that some things work together for good. Huh? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. All things Good and bad, bright and dark, sweet and bitter, easy and hard, happy and sad, prosperity or poverty, health and sickness, calm and storm, comfort and suffering, life and death are working together for good. It means that God is working all things. There are no accidents. accidents. Remember that Joseph could look back over his life, you know. He went from being in the pit to being the most second most powerful man in the entire world. His brothers turned him in, and ended up at Potiphar's house. He was a slave there for a while, and he ended up in jail for a while uh, on trumped up charges that he never never did. But he interpreted dreams and. Um, Pharaoh heard it because he had a dream that nobody could interpret. And all of a sudden, Joseph interprets it and Pharaoh made him the second most powerful man in the world. So as Joseph looks back over his life that had been filled with disappointment and suffering, yet he could say to his brethren who were responsible for his misfortune, you thought this was evil against me. But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. He knew that I was going to go through this process of suffering and that I would actually be able to give um, instructions how to save the the people of Egypt when they had this famine for seven years. And then actually bring all of his brothers before him. Also, we can think of Job. Uh, Job said, and Job thirteen verse fifteen, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. How can you say that? Well, when you said in Romans eight twenty eight. Uh, this doesn't look very good. Doesn't matter, God's gonna work it out for good somehow, some way. I mean, how can you lose if you have that attitude? Again, emotions can get in, but this is God God's word. You know the greatest thing about the Bible? It doesn't change if you take it literally. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I, got, I am God and I change not. And in this ever-changing world that we live in, this book does not. Therefore, we have this foundation, and if it says all things are working together for the good, and you may not see it, it doesn't change this first one bit. Somehow, some way, the Lord will make it all right, the last one, number, number seven, we're going to get a little sidetracked on here this morning. Uh, 29 through 30 deals with the issue of predestination. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed uh, into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Um, When we had Robert Cogden here, he was giving us an update on the new Calvinism. Um, I'm going to take this opportunity and I want to expose um, the false teaching and doctrine of Reformed theology or what we call Calvinism and this verse right here is the cornerstone that they use there's others that I'll get into in just a bit I'll put it up on the screen uh, this verse is taken and misused by John Calvin he was uh, the founder of uh, Calvinism and I'll give you just a little bit of history about him this book right here is by Dave Hunt Forward by T. A. McMahon, our good friend. Dave's with the Lord. T. A. Hopefully will be with us in September. This book is called John Calvin's Tyrannical Kingdom: uh, Geneva Experience in Christian Dominionism. I don't believe for one second John Calvin was saved. Uh, he was uh, what he was called the dictator of Geneva, we're talking Geneva, Switzerland and um, I encourage you to get the book but I'm just going to read a couple pages that show show us where where this started and a little bit about um, uh, just him personally Uh, Calvin thought he was God's instrument to force irresistible grace and I'm going to put what irresistible grace means up on the screen in just a minute It's a key doctrine in Calvinism. Upon the citizens of Geneva, Switzerland, even upon those who prove their unworthiness by resisting to the death, he unquestionably did his best to be irresistible in imposing righteousness. But what he imposed and the manner in which he imposed it was so far from grace and the teachings of Christ. And I could go on, but I'm going to read just one example example of many that lost their lives because of John Calvin Uh, this particular man is Michael Servetus and um, Calvin accused Servetus of um, arguments and this one revolved around infant baptism uh, which Calvin held to and um a service did not but the latter uh, main objection in spite of his own faults was actually quite sound now this is what Calvin decreed for this man because he believed he didn't believe in infant baptism um, but John Calvin did and so to impose this I'm going to read what the Geneva Council said and what happened to this man. um, They condemned him to death. And Calvin, when they were having the trial, personally showed up at this man's hearing. And when it was determined that he would die, this man begged that he would be beheaded. Calvin would have nothing. I'll read just a paragraph. He asked to be beheaded rather than burned. Calvin was inclined to support this plea, but the aged, frail, respond from him with such tolerance that the council voted that Servetus should be burned alive. The sentence was carried out the next morning, October 17th, 1553. On the way to the burning, Farrell, uh, uh, Impertunus Certivus, I think is his name, to earn divine mercy by confessing the crime of his heresy. According to Pharaoh, the condemned man replied, I am not guilty, I have not merited death. But he besought God to pardon his accuser. He was fastened to a stake by an iron chain and his last book was bound to his side. Uh, When the flames reached his face, he sh- he uh, shrieked with agony, and after a half an hour of burning, he died. That's John Calvin. And um, Calvinism today has taken on, sometimes it's referred to as Reformed theology. Everybody familiar with the term here? Um, but it varies. You can be, Reformed theology is everything that has Flowed out of the Re- Reformation, Augustine and Calvin. Augustine actually was a mentor to John Calvin. Lutheranism and the vis- and parts of Roman Catholicism, it could it would have to do with infant baptism, whether saved or not. It could include differing doctrines of communion also. Calvin is a subcategory of Reformed theology. In other words, all Calvinists are reform, but not all reformers are Calvinists. I hope that's not too confusing. But I'm going to put something on the board now and give you, um, I believe it's called an acronym, of TULIP, so please put it up. And I'm going to read this because this is basically the teachings of John Calvin. They, they use it with the word TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. The T stands for total depravity man is completely and wholly depraved and has no ability whatsoever to respond repent or believe to god until he is first regenerated by god the u stands for unconditional election god determined before the foundation of the world whom he would save and he whom he would send to hell men would have no choice or free will to either accept or reject Christ as Savior. The L stands for limited atonement. Christ's atonement on the cross was not for everyone, but just for the elect. I stands for irresistible grace. Uh, Faith is something God irresistibly bestowed upon the elect without their having believed anything. By such reasoning, man can't even hear the gospel, much less respond to the pleadings of Christ. The P stands for the perseverance of the saints. This is what Calvinists say has given them the assurance of eternal security. But in actuality, the emphasis is upon the believer's faithfulness and preserving, not upon God's keeping power. Uncertainly, as to, to one's unlimited salvation is, in fact, built upon the very fabric of Calvin himself. All right, if you just take this at face value and I would sum it up in a sentence, it would, it would sound something like that. That would mean that predestination, and that's what we're talking about right now, um, some of you have been predestined to eternal life. Well, that begs the question and has to mean that others have been predestined to hell. Everybody following me? Okay, Dave Hunt wrote a book about this too. I can give you the whole book just by its title. The title of his book is What Love Is This? And there you have the whole book. What love is this? All right. Have a little fun here. I want to keep up with the trends and things that are going on in the world today. So I have uh, my Calvinist uh, t shirt. And um, I hope you guys can pick it up. It says Calvinism. watching live stream it says Calvinism some lives matter (laughs) when you're having a heavy Bible study you gotta find something to light it off without without compromising so you know um, bottom line if Calvinism is true um, why are we here this morning why ever witness to anybody again if Calvinism is true already been predestinated one way or the other so you're wasting your time here this morning and it needs to be exposed when Robert Cognon comes you have to admit this is radical it wouldn't fly today so what I'm about to read to you is the movers and shakers in leadership and of what we call the characteristics of the new Calvinism and um, again Robert Cognon is probably Dave Hunt are um, the best ones that I know of of exposing this heresy. The New Calvinism is a broad church with a wide range of beliefs, doctrine, and practices. The Gospel Coalition, how many of you have heard of the Gospel Coalition? Okay, good, you need to know what it is. Which started in 2007 with a conference headlined by Dave Carson, Tim Keller, and John Piper. It was a significant event for the coalition. coalition has become a national network for the new Calvinist movement. Theologian uh, Don Carson wrote the original draft um, of the confessional statement while Pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York wrote the theology called to ministry the Gospel Coalition Council Board boasts uh, familiar names like Tim Keller, John Piper, Mark Driscoll, Alistair Beggs, Mark Deaver, Al Mohler, and Josh Harris. Coalition leaders explain that they are not a boundary set, for that would mean nailing down the outer limits of who is in and who is out. And uh, that they do not want, as um, as uh, it says, just it says just about everyone is welcome. In other words, they're broad. They want you to come in, and if you're you're welcome to be a part of this, which is really toned down version from this. The last thing I'll, I'll read concerning this: the new Calvinism has a reputation for teaching the Biblical Doctrines of Calvin, and then it shows the acronym TULIP. They seek to contextualize the gospel of truth to make it relevant to the postmodern world. Tim Keller is a major pronunciatist of this view. He teaches that for an inner city church to be successful, it must contextualize the gospel to make it relevant to the needs of the multi-ethnic population. The message must be crafted to make it sensitive to the culture trends of the day. So shaky is Tim Keller's theology that in an interview with Martin Basher, he says that he's unsure whether God has provided a trapdoor for unbelieving Muslims and Hindus. So again, um, as the culture change, the church changes with it so that they can still Um, um, what stay relevant to the trends that are taking place well again my bible says that um, he changes not and this book does not change basically they realize they couldn't go around today burning people at the stake so we have this is a broad discussion and I hope I've um, um, brought it up well enough just to make a simple point and um, it begs the question: Well, if Romans eight twenty nine and thirty is not a good interpretation of predestination, what is? Turn with me to First Peter, chapter one. First Peter chapter one. We'll read verses one and two. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion and Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithany. Verse two, elect. Now, underneath that word elect, I have Romans 8, 29, because it's the same word. So you can put the word predestined in there just as easily, because it is the same word. Elect, but then it adds, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit. So Calvin would have us believed that you're predestined and you don't have anything to do with it. But Peter puts it in the right context when you're talking about predestination. Is not our God all-knowing or omniscient? He knows everything. So yes, you are predestined, but according to his foreknowledge. And that begs the question, is there anything God doesn't know? No, he knew that I would exercise my free will and accept him as my Lord and Savior. And he did that. I'll quote, David puts it this way in Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. When does life begin? Before you're even in the womb. According to that scripture. And in your books they were all written and the days fashioned for me for when there was none of them. In other words, God knew everything that David was going to do. He knew that he would be a musician's musician, that Saul has killed his thousands and David's his tens of thousands, so he was a man's man, he was a warrior, and um, his reputation and his nickname is a man after God's own heart, but he's also a man who committed adultery and to cover his tracks, he was also a murderer by killing Uriah the Hittite. All the days were there. But David made his own choice when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And God wrote it down, and he just laid it all out. So, let's sum it up. Predestination. What is the right context of it? Well, according, you have to put in there, according uh, to the foreknowledge of God, who knows all things, everybody with me with that? Calvin's interpretation of it is not the correct one. What here is the correct one, because it implies that I actually exercise my free will, that the Lord knew all along. Okay, let's go back. We've we've made it now through one verse. <laughs> Don't worry, we're almost done. So what shall we say to these things? Well, we just went through seven things uh, from verse 18 to 30. Now Paul says of those seven things that we've just gone through, what can we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? If he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, uh, who is risen at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. For we, for who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So in, in these verses right here, Uh, Will it be tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pale or sword? In these verses, it means everything imaginable. It is possible, this is a question for him, is it possible that tribulation or trouble can separate us? No, because he won't let it. How about distress or anguish? Or you maybe think God has let you down, but he hasn't. Persecution, and this means um, the kind of persecution that's coming down today on the church. It means that there are those who will carry on a campaign against you, but that will not separate you from the love of Christ. Famine or nakedness or peril or sword, By the way, this is a brief biography of Paul's life. This is everything that he went through. He knows from experience that uh, these things will not separate you from his love. Now here we have it again. It is written. This comes from Psalm 42. It says, As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep, for the slaughter this is a quotation from Psalm 44 verse 22 yea for thy sake are ye killed all the day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter uh, this is a frightful picture of the saints of this day I believe with uh, all my heart that this is an attitude of a satanic system towards the child of God even in a sour. And we can't be ignorant, we're told, to the enemy's devices. He hates you. He hates you. He wants you taken out, period. And a lot of what's coming down right now, uh people don't have a biblical perspective. It's not just the Gates or the Rockefellers or the Rothschilds or they what people who think are pulling the strings. No. This is spiritual warfare, it's highest degree, and it's all leading one thing and that is a tribulation and um, uh, then it finally reaches ultimate point where you take the mark or you get killed certainly can't buy or sell that's where all this is leading to so we see that moving in that direction right now it goes on to say in verse 36 it is uh, difficult to see some of the persecution that's going on today, but even this will not separate us from the love of God. All right, let's close this up this morning with verse 37. Yet in all these things, all these trials, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How can a sheep for the slaughter be more than a conqueror? This is another wonderful paradox of the Christian faith. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Well, it means to have assistance from another who gets the victory for us, who never lets us be defeated. The victory belongs to Christ, not to us. The victorious life is not our life, it is his life that he lives through us. Another good place for an amen. Amen. We'll sum it up in verses 38 and 39 this morning where it says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors who loved us, for I am persuaded, that's the title of the message this morning, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come neither height nor depth or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For I am persuaded, means that he knows. Death cannot separate us. In fact, it will take us into his presence. The response of many of the early Christians, I like this, who were martyrs, when they were threatened with death was, thank you, you will transport me right into the presence of my Savior. You know, if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, like in the days of of, um, the the emperors, um, deny Christ or die. And they they got a gunpoint and denounce your faith. And my answer to them was, please don't miss. (laughs) Make sure you get it right the first time. How can you lose with an attitude like that? Did not Paul say, oh, death, where's I sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? And yet in reality, the American Christian does not have that mentality. You've got to remind yourself on a daily basis that you're a pilgrim, and you are a stranger, and you're just passing through this place. And the older you get, the more we desire it. And uh, my heart actually goes out to the younger people today when they see a lot of this stuff coming down. And they're 18 years old, and they got their whole life in front of them. And, and uh, my heart goes out to that because they have dreams and ambitions that they'd like to do but there is a generation that's going to be different and I believe it's this one life is often more difficult to face than to face death but life's temptations, failures, disappointments, uncertainties and sufferings will not separate us from the love of God and it goes on to say I'll close with this uh, it's a love story we love him because he first loved us and nothing can separate us from that. He en- we entered this chapter with no condemnation. We conclude it this morning with no separation. And in between, we have all things working together for good. Can you improve on this, my friends? Can't get any better than that, except there is a word. I don't know which brother it was in men's prayer yesterday. But from Psalm 146 to 150, it begins with the word, praise the Lord, 146. The last verse of 146 says, praise the Lord. 147, praise the Lord. Last verse, praise the Lord. 148, praise the Lord. Last verse, praise the Lord. 49, and then, of course, 50. Matter of fact, I'm even going to read 50 because if any people have problems with drums and guitars in church, I think it's a good one to read. So I'll close this morning because this begins with praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbre and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, and then it ends, praise the Lord. If you take the word praise the Lord and you interpret it into the Hebrew, do you know what word you come up with? The word is hallelujah. Hallelujah is the same word in every language of this planet. It doesn't change. You go to India, it's hallelujah, it's hallelujah. You go to Haiti, hallelujah, it's hallelujah. But what they're actually saying is praise the Lord. So um, with that, I guess it's a good time to say praise the Lord for Romans chapter eight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you with all of the stuff that's going on that somehow you're working it all to good. And you have your own purposes and plans to, to set up your own kingdom, no matter what the world's going through right now. Lord, help us understand predestination um, from the viewpoint of Paul, knowing that because of your foreknowledge and your all knowing that we would, by our free will, choose or accept you. And in closing this morning, Lord, I wanna give that invitation uh, for anybody uh, listening here or watching live stream. If they've never exercised their free will to be able to experience the seven things that we talked about this morning, then I pray that it would be as simple as communicating to our Heavenly Father your need for his forgiveness and salvation Your word tells us that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, in closing, I pray for that one this morning, that you touch that person's heart and bring them to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.